It is indeed good to be together, to fellowship together, to commune together around the Lord's table this morning, and as we come around God's word for his feeding. There was a monastery in Germany that trained Christian brothers for various responsibilities within the church. One Christian brother in training lived with mortal fear of being called upon to preach the chapel service. So he thought he'd cut this off at the pass, and he went to the chief monk, and he said to him, "Uh, look, I'll do any job you ask me to do. I'll go out into the fields, I'll fertilize, I will irrigate, I will scrub floors, I will polish silverware. Just please, please do not ask me to preach at the chapel service. Well, the chief monk thought to himself, this is exactly what this guy needs. So he replied, well, tomorrow you're going to preach the chapel service. And and so this guy went back to his room. He did not know what to do. He got up the next morning. His insides were turning. And apprehensively, he went to the chapel. He looked into the eyes of his peers. And he started his sermon by asking, brothers, do you know what I'm going to say? And they all shook their heads, no. And so he continued, well, neither do I. Let's stand for the benediction. And they all went out. Well, the chief monk was a little angry with that, and he came to him right away, and he said, listen, I'm going to give you another chance tomorrow, and you better do it right. You're going to preach the message. This is what you need. The next day came. The scene was the same. The young man began as he did the day before, and he said, brothers, do you know what I'm going to say? And this time they all shook their heads, yeah, since they knew he wasn't going to say anything. He continued to say, well, since you already know what I'm going to say, there's no point in my saying it. Let's stand for the benediction. And off they went. Well, now the chief monk, he was livid. And once again, he says, you know, I'm tired of your shenanigans. I want you to preach in chapel and you will, if you don't, you're going to go into solitary confinement and just have bread and water. That's it. The third day, the scene was the same. He'd begun the way he had the two previous days. He said, brothers, do you know what I'm going to say? Well, now they're really confused. Some were shaking their heads yes, and some were shaking their heads no. So he continued, he said, well, those of you who know, tell those who don't. And he said, let's stand for the benediction, and they all went out. Now, believe it or not, this guy got it right. Those of you who know, tell those who don't. I mean, that's the essence of what I'm going to say this morning. But I'm not going to just do the benediction and off you go. Dream on. (laughs) Those of you who know, tell those who don't. All right. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. First book of the New Testament. The first gospel. According to Matthew, Matthew 28. Now last Sunday, as we looked at the Evangelical Free Church of America's statement of, of faith on Christian living, I chose to kind of simplify things by zeroing in on the great commandment. Love God, love others. It's a double love that God wants. Well, this morning, as we continue in our sermon series on True North, I want to fix our thoughts on a second aspect to Christian living reflected in this statement. And so an EFCA statement on Christian living, it says, it will be on the screen, we believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. 
God commands us to love him supremely and others sacrificially. That's what we looked at last week. And how do we express that? Well, to live out that with care for one another, compassion toward the poor, justice for the oppressed. It continues, with God's word, the Spirit's power, and fervent prayer in Christ's name were to combat the spiritual forces of evil. And I spent a little time on that in the epistle this past week. But in obedience to Christ's commission, we are to make disciples among all people, always bearing witness to the gospel in word and deed. Well, it's that last sentence that I want to spend our time on this morning. In obedience to Christ's commission, we are to make disciples among all people, always bearing witness to the gospel in word and deed. Why do we do what we do as a church? Well, our mission at EBC is we exist to make disciples. And we could continue that. We exist to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And it keeps going. Church, you've heard me say it before. We gather to go. We gather to go. That's really the bottom line for this morning as we look at Matthew 28. Now, first point this morning is Jesus' mission is unstoppable. Jesus' mission is unstoppable. Now, as we come to these verses in Matthew 28, I remind you that the entire chapter of 28, leading up to these words of Jesus, is centered on the risen Christ. And what we see here in verses 18 through 20 follow Jesus' resurrection. So we might kind of see these words as Jesus' farewell speech. Jesus' farewell speech. Now, this past week, uh, being St. Patrick's Day, couldn't help myself but to, to, to go with this old Irish farewell toast. It might be familiar to you. Old Irish farewell toast. It goes like this. May the road rise with you. May the wind be at your back. May the sun be on your face. May the rain fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may the good Lord hold you in the palm of his hand. Not bad. Not bad. Well, here Jesus delivers his farewell speech to his disciples. Now we're told in the book of Acts chapter 1 that Jesus spent over 40 days with his disciples following his resurrection. And we really don't have much recorded for us as to what Jesus said to his band of disciples during that time other than to wait for the Holy Spirit's empowering presence before going out as his witnesses and what we have recorded for us here in Matthew 28, this farewell speech to join his mission. And he begins his farewell speech here with the words, verse 18 now, follow along. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What a massive claim. As the risen Christ who triumphed over death and the evil intentions of Satan, his enemy, can now boldly declare that all authority has been given to him. And given to him by whom? Well, by God the Father. All authority has been given to him. Now, this is not to suggest in any way that prior to this moment, prior to his resurrection, what he said and what he did during the days on the earth were less authoritative. But Jesus, as fully God and fully man while on earth, he had the, the authority to forgive sins. 
He had the authority, authority to, to cast out demons. He had the authority to heal the sick. Many recognized that Jesus taught with authority unlike all other teachers. And so when it speaks here uh, that all authority has been given to him, it really marks a turning point in redemptive history. You can check out Philippians chapter 2, jot it down, look at it later. But the beautiful section there, some think it's kind of a hymn. Uh, but, in, but, in, but in Philippians chapter 2, in that beautiful section, we see that Jesus, it picks it up verse 5 down to verse 11, I believe. That Jesus lays aside the glories of heaven. He humbled himself and he willingly gave up his life on the cross. And, and then he was vindicated and exalted to the highest place and given the name above all names. And then it ends with every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. Every knee will bow. And so when Jesus had done the great work of redemption once for all, Jesus, the God-man, the, the redeemer, the risen one, as never before, has been given the authority and rule of the universe. Jesus now exercises all authority. He is given universal authority. He's Lord over everything and everyone. All authority on earth and in heaven has been given to the risen Christ. All of it. All of it. He has absolute authority over government. He has absolute authority over armies and over politics and over the stock market and over all businesses. He has absolute authority over all research and discovery. He has authority over weather systems, over Satan and his demons. And to bring it to a personal level, he has authority over your life. So your business is his to rule. Your career is his to rule. Your vacation or your home or your children or your body or your money or your online activity is his to rule. All of it. All of it. I mean, you, you, you can fight against it. You can resist his rule in your life. You, we, we can respond to his authority in our lives begrudgingly or maybe even with defiance. We can respond with, with, to his authority over all things with, with, with skepticism, questioning, if he has all authority, then why is the world such a mess? Or why has this awful thing happened? We can respond to his authority that way. Or, or we can respond to his authority by experiencing it as powerful and, and personal. We can surrender control to him to determine the direction of our lives. And you know what? You probably found this to be true. I certainly have. It is freeing when I can submit to his authority. For he has that kind of dominion and power. It can free us from greed. It can free me from pride. It can free us from the chains that once shackled us to a place of loving service and sacrifice. See, to be under his authority, to be in that place where I can never lose in the end. And as Jesus is about to speak of the mission of the church, he wants to make it crystal clear that he rules over everyone and everything. Let's get that first. That not one decision made by any ruler or leader can stop 
his mission. Church, his mission is unstoppable. Unstoppable. When all is said and done, Jesus has absolute authority and power over the mission of the church. It cannot fail. All authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus says, has been given to him. All of it. So the second heading then is Jesus calls us to join with a cause, with him in a cause that cannot fail. (laughs) Jesus calls us to join with him in a cause that cannot fail. I mean, if Jesus is real... If it is true that he's risen, that all authority has been given to him, then nothing is more important in our lives than to be his follower. And because Jesus is real, and because it is true that he has risen, and that all authority has been given to him, we can go boldly knowing that he's in control of everything in heaven and on earth. Jesus' authority unleashes confidence to do this one thing that he's left for us to do. What is the one thing? Therefore, he says, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. All right, let me break this down a little bit. And some of it you might have heard of it before, but let's make sure we're all on the same page. There's one main verb in this section, one main verb in this section, and it's a command. It's one word in the original. In our translation, it's two words. The command, the one, the, the one verb here, the main verb is make disciples. Make disciples. Everything else in this passage revolves around that one command, make disciples. And it doesn't even say be disciples, though that's implied, but make disciples. It doesn't say make converts. Make disciples. So the pressing question then becomes how? How do we make disciples? I mean, what does that look like? Well, it's all wrapped up in the three qualifiers that are here in this passage, in these verses. Going, baptizing, and teaching. Those three qualifiers tell us how we do this. All right, let's look at this idea of going, of going. Now, growing up in the church, um, I have attended many many missions conferences over the years. And over that time, I even saw people answer the call to go and serve as missionaries. Most of the time, it was overseas somewhere, not always, but often it was. Now, let me just say this, just so you think I'm sliding missions conferences. Missions conferences have have a lot of benefit. One is it's positive in in giving the bigger picture a greater awareness of the world beyond the little world I live in. But something that I missed along the way growing up, and perhaps I I just wasn't paying close enough attention, that's very possible. But I left many of those missions conferences feeling guilty over what I felt was disobedience for not responding to the call to go and spread the gospel to some foreign land. And I thought, well, I can't even obey this command, and it looks like it's a big one. And I go away guilty, and I remember my parents saying, oh, we have a missions conference coming up. I went, oh, no, not that. Now, the emphasis seemed to be, for me anyway, from, from my perspective as a child, was on going. God does call some people to take that step 
either in some short-term missions trip or mid to long-term. I don't want us to miss that. Absolutely, it gets to that. But is that the only way we can live out that mission? Now, many of you know this going here is better translated, honestly. As you go, as you go, as you go, as you go, make disciples. Commentator S.K. Weber says this is the point is that we believers are active, we're not inert. Going, he says, means crossing boundaries to make disciples, going across the street, going to dinner with an unbelieving friend going into that inner city, going beyond one's comfort zone to make the gospel accessible to the lost. Living life, he says, is going with a purpose every day. So as you go about your day, each day, live with purpose, make disciples. Start where you are, where you live. Live with a belief that God has put people into your life for a reason. And pray for these. I know you do, many of you. Pray for the, continue to pray. Even if you don't see anything happening, continue to pray. Pray for opportunities to share your life with them, to share your story with them, to share the gospel with them in word and in deed. Look for opportunities. There was this this guy who prayed uh, one morning. He said, Lord, Lord, if you want me to witness to someone today, please give me a sign to show me who it is. Please give me a sign to show me who it is if you want me to witness to to someone today. Well, that day, wouldn't you know it, he found himself on a bus when this big, muscular, rough-looking man entered the bus, and, and the bus was nearly empty, yet this guy chose to sit right next to him. This timid Christian anxiously waited for a stop so he could just get off that bus and get on with things. Well, there they sat, and all of a sudden, this big guy burst into tears, and he cried out, my life is so empty, I need the Lord. (laughs) And he then turned to the Christian guy, and he asked him, do you know the answer to my emptiness? The man, (laughs) he looked away, he paused and prayed, Lord, is this a sign? It doesn't get any clearer. There are times we really don't need to ask God for a sign. Just step into the situation presented to us. Wherever we go, there are people to reach. God's way of carrying out the mission for reaching people is through people. God does not want us to be passive but active disciples as we go. Now, the second qualifier to making disciples is found in the word baptizing. Baptizing. Why is baptizing so significant to this mission? All right, well, baptism, in essence, is about identification, and it's a twofold identification. We identify with Jesus when we're baptized. We identify with Jesus, but we also identify in baptism with the community of believers primarily the local church. So when we're baptized, we are saying, I belong to Jesus Christ, I identify with him, but I also belong to his body, the church. You can't separate those. So if we're to live out this mission, then it assumes we're growing, it assumes we are plugged into a church. 
Let me be blunt. You've heard it from both Pastor Dan and myself over the years, but let me be blunt once again. If your faith is just between you and Jesus, independent of, of, of community of believers, then you will plateau in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You will hit a ceiling. You will. I don't care how you spin it, how you justify it, you will. You're experiencing that right now. So if you're to join in this great cause that cannot fail, it means you're growing as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. It means you understand your identification not only with Jesus, but with a local body of believers. You're not attempting to live out your faith on your own. It assumes that. All right. At the risk of meddling a little bit here, hang in there. If you are all bent out of shape over the church, then you are in no position to make disciples. I mean, can you really look at others in this room and say, as the chorus goes, I'm so glad you're a part of the family of God? Or is it really, as you look at others, I'm surprised you're a part of the family of God? <laughs> really? You? I mean, if we're honest. See, if you're all negative about the church, it's going to hinder your ability to make disciples. Why am I saying that? Because the great commandment that we looked at last week, love God, love others, it cannot be divorced from the great commission, make disciples. See, making disciples is not only about sharing our faith, it's showing others what following Jesus looks like in community. So if you don't love the community, then how in the world will you be able to invite them into the community? So as we go and share the gospel with others, it goes beyond conversion to showing them what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and how the church plays a role in their growth as a disciple of Jesus. All right, that's how we do the discipling. All right, there's a third aspect, though, I, I, just, I need to touch on. It comes in teaching them to obey everything Christ commanded, it says. Teaching them to obey everything Christ commanded. Now, don't think of teaching as what I'm doing right now uh, uh, and standing up front here or, or standing in front of a classroom to give a lesson. The teaching is in the context of as we go. It's in the context of a relationship. It's, it's very similar, really, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, it speaks of how God's word is to be passed on to the children. Right? You're familiar with that passage. It's not necessarily... Uh, our, our faith isn't necessarily passed on to our children uh, through a weekly designated time of sitting down for this family uh, devotions. It might be part of that, but that's not, that's not what, the essence of it. Now, according to Deuteronomy 6, it isn't merely go, making sure your kids get to EBC each Sunday. I mean, it's, it's, it's important, but it's not just that. The most effective way, according to Deuteronomy 6, of passing truth on to our children is what? Saturating our conversations as we go about our day. It's the same principle here in making disciples. It's through passing on to others what God's word is teaching us. As we go, we impart to others what has been given to us. Now, Pastor David Platt he talks about his time spent in, in South Sudan. And he remembers sitting with a group of Christ's followers in a mud hut teaching the Bible to them. And he says this, he says, The whole time I was teaching them, I hardly saw their faces. It wasn't because they were dozing off or distracted. It's because they're writing down every single thing I said as I was teaching the Word. <laughs> and Platt continues, he says, Afterwards they came up to me and said, We know 
kind of answering, this is why we do this, and, and just kind of write everything down. We know we have the responsibility to take everything you've taught us, translate it into our tribe's languages, and teach it to our tribes. Do, do you see the principle there? They weren't just listening to receive the word, they were listening to reproduce it. So I asked the question, are you merely receiver of the word, or, you are, or are you a reproducer of the word? Do you listen and read God's word just for yourself? Or is it, ah, I can share this with others, what God's doing through his word? See, to be serious about disciple making means not letting the word stop with us, but letting it spread through us. Let God's word fill your mind so it saturates your conversations as you go. God's word is never intended for just you, but to be passed on through you to other people. Listen, we are not to be living Christianity as we are so much in America in self-absorption. Consumer, giving me yet more, more, more. But giving ourselves to disciple-making to our mission. So, we aren't here to just gather all the information we can and not do the work. You heard that earlier. We exist for a purpose. That purpose is to glorify God by doing the work he requires of us, doing that third thing. To gather for informational purpose is not what he intended for us. We're to be about the work of making disciples. We're to be reproducing Christ's life into someone else. Who is that for you? It's been said, a ship in the harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. And neither are churches. We were built to carry out his mission. We need time in the harbor, absolutely. That's why we gather in this setting and other settings. We need that, but that isn't what we were made to do. We gather to go. Jesus does not want us just to remain in the safe harbor. Do you need to move outside the harbor? Do you need to step beyond the comfortable? Sounds kind of risky. Well, here's the beautiful thing. As we go and join in this cause, it cannot fail. Third point is Jesus promises to be with us as we go. How sweet is that? He promises to be with us as we go. I need to remember this as everything inside of me says, I can't do this. It's kind of like how my brain and my body interact with each other, especially as I get older. You know what I'm talking about. For example, I'll give you one. I enjoy playing pickleball. That's what everyone does when you're over whatever age you think I am. <laughs> but I enjoy playing pickleball. Now, when my opponent hits the ball to me, my brain barks out a command to my body, run over and hit the ball. Then the brain says, slam a shot to the far corner of the court. My brain's very competitive. <laughs> so my brain's barking out these commands. And then my body says, who, me? <laughs> I, don't, I can't do that. Jesus gives us a very specific task here. We know we should do it, but something inside of us says, who, me? And Jesus promises to be with us. I mean, it's quite a promise. 
Because our mission is his business, so he promises to be with us as we go. The one who has all authority promises to be with you. Jesus ends his farewell with this glorious comforting promise, end of verse 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He is with us some of the time. Always, without any break. He never takes a break uh, 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 from his promise of being with you. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, God says, Hebrews 13, and other places. He is with us always. And the promise of his presence has no ending. And so as we carry out this mission, church, we can be sure of his presence, that we'll experience the power of his presence at work in our lives, particularly as we're giving ourselves to this command of making disciples. And so really then, we are without excuse. When we say, I can't do this, Jesus promises, I'm with you always. When we say, I'm scared out of my mind, Jesus says, I'm with you always. When we say, I just don't know what to say, Jesus says, I am with you always. I wouldn't give you this mission to just go carry it out on your own. I am with you always. Always, Jesus promises to be with us when we give ourselves to this mission. The power of his presence will be at work in us and through us. And if he's with us and he's in in this business and his plan for spreading the gospel, this is the way he wants to do it, then the gates of hell cannot prevail against it when his followers do what he says. So why wouldn't we join a mission that is unstoppable? Why wouldn't we join in a cause that cannot fail? Why wouldn't we join in what God is doing when we're guaranteed his presence? Well, Jesus' farewell speech calls for some kind of response. We can't just go, well, that was nice. To God's mission, we can say like Moses, who, me? We can say like Jonah, not me? We can say like Jeremiah, why me? Or we can say like Isaiah, send me. What's going to be your response? What's my response? What is is my next step? It might be a baby step. Some might be a giant step. But what is your next step? I don't know how it's all going to work out. Listen, we don't have to figure it all out. We just need to go where God wants us to go and do what God wants us to do. And when we do that, we just may never know what God is going to do in that moment or sometime down the road. I reminded Pastor Philip Johnson. He served uh, one large church and then 10 smaller churches in this kind of circuit on the northern coast of, of uh, Canada. And on the first day of his new circuit ministry, Johnson learned that in order to get to the smallest of the churches, he would have to travel 40 miles by snowmobile to a tiny village. It's pretty cool. And when Johnson, Pastor Johnson arrived, only one person had shown up for worship. Only one. A fisherman who had traveled about 20 miles to get there. Well, Pastor Johnson initially thought about just saying a prayer and calling it a day. But then he realized that together he and the fishermen had already logged 60 miles of travel and 60 more miles to return home. And so with that in mind, 
pastor decided to conduct the worship service as if there were a few hundred worshipers there. They did it all. I mean, they did the hymns, they did the readings, they did the prayers, they did the sermon, they did the Lord's Supper, they did the benediction, all of it. Well, it was during the sermon especially that, that the pastor wondered why he had bothered. The fisherman never looked up. He never, pastor never had eye contact with the one person there, the front row. Well, after finishing up the sermon, Pastor Johnson stood in the back of the church and the fisherman came through. He thanked him for his coming. He then said, Reverend, I've been thinking about becoming a Christian for about 30 odd years and today's the day. <laughs> How cool is that? You just never know what God's going to do. It's our job to be ready, willing, and available God is in control of all the moving parts. He orchestrates it all. We need to show up. All right. What coincidences? What coincidences might God have prepared for you this coming week? Church, we gather to go. Start where you are. Those of you who know, tell those who don't. Okay, now I'll pray. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. How many times have we read this passage? How many times have we heard it preached? I don't know. I probably didn't bring anything new to the table. That's not even my task. So remind us of the very basics of what you've called us to do. And I pray, God, that in some way you've impressed that on my mind and the minds of all who are here this morning. That we'd go from here Remembering this third thing, remembering our mission, remembering what you've called us to do. And whatever that looks like for us in our spheres and of influence and in our network of relationships, God, may we believe that those, are placed, those people are placed in our lives for a reason. Even the person that we might see at the checkout every time we go. I don't know what it means, but I pray, God, that we'd be looking to serve others, looking for opportunities to love on people. All for your glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.